I will ask you to stand, but not yet. Not yet. <laughs> because we'll be standing a while. We have an interesting conversation. You see John 4, 1 through 30, 39 through 42. The encounter with the woman at the well in Samaria, which was a country that Bible school long ago told me the Jews would go way out of their way not to go through Samaria. This echoes that attitude. Um, 10.52 is the page. John 4, 1 through 30. And then we'll skip over and then read another four verses later on. And we'll leave out a conversation that's between Jesus and the disciples when they come back and find Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. I consider myself fortunate that this is all in an open book right before me and I don't have to turn a page. <laughs> okay, now stand, will you please? And I thank you in advance for your endurance. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Interesting. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, about midday. <clears throat> when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Now his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew. And I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Notice as we continue this conversation how respectful it is. There are some accusations, some pretty direct remarks, and yet the tone does not fall into an argument or accusation. Jesus answered a question about asking for a drink. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his flocks and herds. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said, what you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Now we're skipping over, well, we'll read just a bit farther to 30. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Now we skip across this conversation with the disciples to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. May God add richly to his word. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for your participation. Be seated. And I really don't feel that sorry for you for having to stand while he read the scripture because I'm going to stand the whole time. <laughs> I guess the cool thing now is to use a stool, isn't it? That's kind of what a lot of guys do. They get a stool. And, um, but, you know, if, even if I had a stool, I wouldn't spend much time on it. So... First of all, uh, as um, 
Gail read these first verses, the opening verses of this chapter. We, what it's doing is telling us why Jesus would be going through Samaria in the first place. Some things were going on. The Pharisees were becoming aware of it. Uh, they had a problem with Jesus already. And so it's like, you know, the heat was getting turned up a little. And so um, he was um, leaving Judea and going back to Galilee. And between Judea and Galilee was Samaria. Now, let me give a little history uh, on the Samaritans because we really need to understand why going through Samaria was something that Jews avoided doing. After the Assyrian conquest of the ten northern tribes of Israel, the Assyrians deported most of the Jews who lived there. They left a few in the land, but most of the people were, you could say, exported. And they resettled them in other nations where they intermarried and were eventually assimilated into those other cultures. In place of the deported Jews, the Assyrians brought other conquered people to live in the north of Israel. There were five groups of people in particular who were brought in by the Assyrians to resettle the land in what would now be called Samaria. According to 2 Kings chapter 17, because these foreign settlers did not worship the Lord when they first arrived, the scripture says God sent lions among them which killed some of them. And in verse 26 of 2 Kings 17, it says, So a message was sent to the king of Assyria. The people you have sent to live in the towns of Samaria do not know the religious customs of the God of the land. He has sent lions among them to destroy them because they have not worshipped him correctly. The, the king responded by sending a Jewish priest back to Samaria to teach the people the customs of the God of the land. As a result, the newcomers embraced Judaism and intermarried with the Jews that were still remaining in Samaria. But as it turned out, they still worshipped the gods they had brought with them when they came to this place. So they were worshipping Jehovah God and they were still worshipping their pagan idols and, and their, the gods that had been the god of the land that they had been uh, taken from. And so these people became the people known as the Samaritans. Years later, when the southern tribes were conquered by Babylon and sent into exile, they did not intermarry but retained their Jewish identity and worship. So when they, were, when they were exported, they didn't intermarry with the locals. They retained their Jewish purity. And when the opportunity came for them to return and rebuild the temple in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, the Samaritans offered to help them do that. But the Jews of the Babylonian exile who had retained their Jewish identity and who had remained faithful to Jehovah refused their offer. They viewed the Samaritans as unfaithful half-breeds. From that time on, about 450 B.C., relations between the Jews and the Samaritans were strained. There existed a deep animosity between them that persisted even into the day of Jesus. So that's why what uh, Gail said about Jews normally taking a route around Samaria, that's why that was occurring. 
Well, we find um, um, it, it says in verse 4, now he, referring to Jesus, had to go through Samaria. No Jew had to go through Samaria. They would, they'd take, what they do is they go out along the Jordan River to the east side of the Jordan and go clear around Samaria. It often added days to their journey, but just so they wouldn't have to have contact with some Samaritans, that was what their tendency was to do. They would bypass it. But Jesus, it said, had to go through Samaria. He had to go this way. He was on a mission. He was intent on on fulfilling the Father's will, and so he made a purposeful journey through Samaria. There was somebody he needed to talk to. And apparently at this point where we, we, uh, we find the story in the well and, and Jesus sitting there, apparently his disciples and he had been traveling for some hours, probably since early morning, so at about the sixth hour, which would have been around noontime by Jewish reckoning, they came to the town of Sychar, outside of which was Jacob's well. And the day would have been hot by this time. And so because they'd been traveling probably for hours, they were hot, probably thirsty, hungry, and tired. And so, Jesus sits down by the well and sends his disciples into town to buy food. Which you had to wonder what the disciples were thinking because we're going to go into Samaritan town. And while they are gone, while they're in town, and Jesus is sitting by Jacob's well, a woman comes to the well to draw water. Remember, it's noontime. So the fact that this woman is coming to the well at noon says something about her right away. See, it was a custom in that day that the women were the ones who drew the water for household use. And they tended to come in the cool of the morning or in the evening after the heat of the day had passed and they would gather at the well not only to complete this necessary chore of drawing water, but it was a time to socialize with the other women of the community. So every morning and every evening, the women assembled to visit at the well and to draw water. But here's a woman who was coming at noon in the heat of the day. Jesus watched her as she approached. He knew that barring some unexpected need, no sensible woman would make the trip to the well from the village in the heat of the day. By the way, one of the commentators said that uh, Jacob's well was a, maybe up to a half mile outside the city. So this would have been a, quite a little trek for her in the heat of the day. And Jesus sensed that this woman was coming to the well at a time when it was likely that no one else would be there. She'd come at noon, alone, so that she would not have to encounter any of the other village women. And as she arrives arrives there, Jesus does two rather surprising things. First of all, he speaks to her. You just didn't do that. Second, he asks her for a favor. Will you give me a drink? 
In, in speaking to her, Jesus shattered long-standing barriers. He spoke to a woman, something no law-observing, self-respecting male Jew would do in public. And add to that, he spoke to a Samaritan woman. Double jeopardy. See, she was, she was a member of that minority group that the Jews regarded as half-breed heretics. And beyond that, he asked her for a favor. No Jew would do a favor for a Samaritan, and it would not be expected that a Samaritan would do a favor for a Jew. Just didn't happen. Either way. And so the woman, she responds with surprise and no doubt with a little skepticism. And instead of lowering her bucket in the well, in response to Jesus' request, she asks him how he could expect a Samaritan, especially a Samaritan woman, to give him a drink. And I love how Jesus responds. He zeroes right in on the woman's deepest need. If you only knew the gift of God and who it is that you are speaking to, you would have asked me to give you living water. Why would Jesus say that to her? Because Jesus knew her heart already. Now I want to just... Look at a couple of things from Jesus' response. First of all, he says, if you only knew the gift of God. <laughs> Who's the gift of God? The gift of God was sitting right in front of her. 2 Corinthians 9.15, the Apostle Paul writes, Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. And a scripture that we're probably all familiar with, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son the gift of God. And so Jesus was saying that I'm that gift. I, the gift is speaking to you right now. The gift of God is right in front of you. And then he talks about living water. If you knew who, who the gift of God and who it is that's speaking to you, you would have asked me for living water. What's that? Well, living water is different than the stagnant water found in pools or cisterns. The people of the Middle East especially, where water tends to be a very precious thing and sometimes hard to come by, really understood that. In their minds, living water was water that flowed like in a, a spring or a stream. That was living water. It was fresh. But see, this term also meant more than just fresh, cool drinking water. The people of Judea and Samaria and Galilee who were familiar with Jewish scriptures would have known that living water also referred to God. And if you want reference to that, because the Scriptures they had were the Old Testament Scriptures, the Law and the Prophets. And in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, and in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 13, 
The prophet Jeremiah refers to God as living water. So we might think that when Jesus said that to this woman, it was like, Psh! but let me tell you, something of some kind was beginning to register with her. And so her response to Jesus was to skirt the issue. <laughs> she says, well, the well is deep and, you know, Jesus, you don't have anything to draw water with. And then she goes on to say, you know, are you greater than Jacob who gave us the well? And Jesus is not put off by her questions. I think that was important what you said, Gail. There was still a respectful tone through this whole thing. Even though the Samaritans and Jews generally did not have a lot of respect for one another. So Jesus is not put off by her questions. He addresses what she deeply longs for. You've come here for water. Everyone who drinks this water that I have to give them Excuse me, everyone who drinks this water out of this well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The living water, flowing water. And her response is, give me some of this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back to this well a half mile from town in the heat of the day because I don't want to put up with the whispers and the gossip. And So she's saying one thing, you know, I don't want to have to keep doing this chore, but there's a deeper implication here. It would be nice not to have to do this chore every day of my life. Then I wouldn't have to risk coming to the well and enduring the shame and scorn. You can see that, can't you? How she would be thinking that, maybe. But her statement also speaks to the condition of her life. She was longing for something. She had a thirst that could not be quenched with the unsatisfying waters that came from the wells of unholy relationships. As often as she had drawn from Jacob's well, she was still thirsty. As long as she'd drawn, as often as she'd drawn from the wells of unsatisfying, unholy relationships, she was still thirsty. So, in effect, she's saying, by all means, if you can really provide what you're talking about, please give it to me. You don't know how long I've been searching. So the next thing that Jesus does is say, go get your husband. Why? I mean, there are a lot of commandments in the Bible to go. Look it up in uh, Strong sometime. Pages of go. Just a few examples from the New Testament. Go, show yourselves to the priest. Remember the, the lepers that were healed? Go, show yourself to the priest. Go sell all you have. Remember that statement? Go into all the world. Go and do likewise. But this is a different kind of go. This is a different kind of go. See, 
Jesus said, go and get your husband. And she replies that she does not have a husband. And Jesus said, you're right. You have had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. You know, my former district superintendent when I was on the Northwest District, Stephen Fletcher, used to say, God reads you like a book. And that's exactly what he was doing at this point in this woman's life. Jesus was reading her at this moment. So this go meant, go face your need. Go face your problem. Go face your sin. Realize that you have a problem and nothing that you have tried has been able to fix it. Go. You've got to confront this thing now. And at first she tries another diversionary tactic. Well, you know, you sound like a prophet. Let's talk about where Jews and Samaritans worship for a minute. Let's forget this husband thing and the guy you're living with now. I don't want to talk about that. Let's talk about where Jews and Samaritans worship. And, and Jesus gets to the heart of the problem with that. And He said, you know, the real issue isn't where you worship. That doesn't matter as much as how you worship. You're supposed to worship in spirit and in truth. Or for us, preferably in the doors, inside the doors of the Longmont Church of the Nazarene. And even through this conversation, and maybe she's had time, as Jesus shared that with her, not only think about what he's saying at that moment, what he said previously, and now something is beginning to dawn. And she says, yeah, I know that the Messiah called the Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. I didn't expect him to reveal all those things, but he will explain everything to us. And Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. And I think it was, it was more than beginning to dawn. I mean, the sun came up at that moment. Bright and clear. Realization, understanding, belief. In that moment, something changed in that woman's life. I who speak to you am He. And in the, now about this time, the disciples return and, you know, they're wondering, uh, wait a minute. Jesus is talking to a woman, a Samaritan woman. But, you know, they're not going to say anything. And it says, what does she do? It says she leaves her water jar behind and goes back to town to tell everyone who she has met, who she meets as she goes through town, what she's experienced. Things best left behind. We kind of think, well, I mean, the water jar, that's kind of necessary. But there are some things, folks, best left behind. Here's what she was telling people. I've had my thirst quenched with the living water. I've drunk from a source that will never go dry. And so she left her water jar behind. And I think that water jar represented all the things in her life that Jesus was freeing her from. 
all those things that she had sought to quench her thirst with previously. And, and, and from what we know, it was relationship after relationship after relationship. She would, we would say in our day, she was looking for love in all the wrong places. And she wasn't finding it anywhere. And so she was still thirsty. She was thirsty physically. She was thirsty spiritually. And so that water jar represents all the things in her life that she now needed to leave behind. All the things that had not satisfied. All the things that she had done to try and quench her inner longing. They were left behind at the well. The old was gone. The new was come. Sometimes that's exactly what we need to do too, isn't it? We're carrying some junk around in our lives. And, and we carry it because we think that well, it's going to kind of fill this hole. It's going to meet this need. It's going to help me feel better about myself. I'll be happier. I'll... And there are things that, like the woman's water jar, we need to leave behind. Because Jesus offers us living water that it satisfies eternally. And I want to talk for a minute about the awesome power of water. You know, the first winter we lived in Tillamook on the Oregon coast, we had a major flood. Fields, farms, homes, businesses were all underwater. There were salmon swimming across some of the roads in the county. And the Coast Guard and local citizens were piloting boats up and down Highway 101 in the flooded parts of town. That's how deep it was. We had people who owned a little coffee shop business, and he jumped in his kayak and paddled right through the front door. And it was raised probably this high off the ground, wasn't the building already. Now this occurred because there was a sizable snowfall in the coast range followed by a warming of the weather and rain on top of that snow. And the result was a melt that happened very quickly with a great volume of water coming down the five rivers that emptied into Tillamook Bay all at once. The problem was that when this great rush of water came down the rivers, it was high tide. So the bay could not absorb the additional volume and there was only one place for it to go. Our town. You know, when the rivers get to flood stage there, they say the rivers are blown out. The water's chocolate brown, and all the garbage that's in the river, leaves and sticks and heavier stuff like maybe even car parts and logs get moved downstream. You'd be amazed at what water will move. One of our members was a dairyman whose farm was located on the banks of the Wilson River. And after the floodwaters receded, he had these huge logs laying in his pasture. They had come down the river from the coast range, old growth trees that had been killed in the Tillamook burn that had happened a hundred years earlier. They had made this incredible forest fire in that part of the world and it had killed all these huge old growth trees. And now with this, the floodwaters... They came off the mountainside, down the rivers, and 
some of them, some of them ended up in his pasture. Most of those logs were anywhere from four to six feet in diameter. And they made great firewood, let me tell you. You just needed a big saw. Here's the point. Water can be a powerful thing. In John chapter 7, verse 38, Jesus says this, Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. See, folks, the power of living water is life-changing power. The power of living water is life-changing power. The last portion of Scripture that, that Gail read for us today, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of the living water in you. That's my translation. Just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. He's the one who has given us living water. So because living water was flowing out of you, we went to see Jesus, and now we're partaking of it as well. Living water is a powerful thing. Living water changed a woman's life. Living water changed a town. The awesome power of living water is amazing. And now... Living water is flowing from Sychar, a Samaritan town of all places. Remember this song? All my life long I have panted for a drink from some cool spring that I hoped would quench the burning of the thirst I felt within. You know the chorus. Hallelujah, I have found him who my soul so long had craved. Jesus satisfies my longings. Through His blood I now am saved. Living water. And if there's... I, I just want to say this today if if there's something in you that's longing and a thirst that's not been satisfied and I'm not talking about you know a Dr. Pepper or a, you know all those things we advertise that's supposed to quench your thirst no I'm talking about a thirst that goes much deeper than that it's a thirst like the woman at the well had a hole that she could never fill a longing that she could never be fulfilled she needed living water, and she found it that day. She found the source of living water at Jacob's well. And if, if you have that longing, just something in your life, you know that, well, just like the woman, it's dawning on you. It's Jesus I need. It's living water I need. I want you to know... It's there for you today, just like it was for that woman. 
And the other thing I want to say today is we need to be conduits of living water ourselves. Jesus said, out of you will flow streams of living water. Is it? Is it? You know, that woman returned to that village and people could tell right away, boy, something is different about this woman. Is it flowing out of us? Let's bow our heads for a moment. Jesus, what a wonderful story. This lady that not only would have been rejected by the Jews of her day, but even by the people of her own community. She was soiled. And in her loneliness and her despair and her longing, she came to the well in the middle of the day, hoping not to encounter anyone who would look down their nose at her. And of all people, she ran into a Jewish man who turned out to be the Savior of the world, the source of living water. Now we know, and she found out, why Jesus had to go through Samaria. And Jesus, maybe you're sitting somewhere by a well in our lives. And like the woman that day, we recognize there's something in us, Jesus, that is not satisfied. And I've tried to fill it with this or that. Or I've tried this other thing. Or, you know, I've gotten into this. Or, and we're still feeling empty. We're still feeling dry. We're still feeling parched. And Jesus, you want to satisfy that longing in our hearts. And you do that when we accept you as Jesus the Savior, the one who died on the cross, the forgiver of our sins. You want to become Lord of our lives. And you want through your presence in us living water to flow out from us too. And if that's you this morning, I would just ask you to take a moment just to invite Jesus in. I'm thirsty. I need living water. I receive you into my life. I ask you to be my Savior and Lord. It's really as simple as that. Maybe you're a Christ follower, but you're wondering, do people see Jesus in me as living water flowing out of me? Do thirsty people, would they come to me? Would they notice would they ask me about it? Oh, they may not use those terms. But we're surrounded by folks who are searching, who are thirsty. Oh, we need to be conduits of living water. It needs to flow out of us. And 
maybe in these moments today, you could recommit yourself to be someone out of whom the living water of Jesus Christ flows. We talked about wanting to impact our community. They're thirsty, folks. Look at what happened when the woman went back to town. Everything changed in her life, and I think everything changed in Sychar. Wouldn't we love to think it, see everything change in Longmont? So, Father, you have heard us as we prayed today. Whether it's a prayer to ask you to be Savior and Lord of our lives, or a prayer to, to renew our commitment to be conduits, to be st- streams through which your living water flows water that leads to eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us today. Thank you for this beautiful story. Thank you that Jesus was obedient and went through Samaria. And maybe you'll lead some of us to a Samaria. Maybe it's that grouchy neighbor next door. I just soon go around, but I have to go through. Maybe it's someone at work that There's been distance between us. Something happened. May not even know what it was, but we've got to go through Samaria. Maybe it's family members who have mocked us for our relationship with Jesus. We don't want to go through Samaria, but we have to. And, you know, that story or others like it could be repeated over and over again, but Jesus, if you're calling us to go, through a Samaria in our lives, may we, like Jesus, go because there's someone you want us to meet, someone in whose life the living water that's in us can make a difference in. For the honor, of glory, honor and glory of Jesus and the salvation of their souls. We praise you for our time together today. It's been our joy to be here and worship you together the body of Christ. And we remember again to you all those who are normally a part of us who have not been able to be here today. Lord God, do a work in their lives, we pray, just as you are doing a work in our lives today. And we pray these things in the strong name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Thank you. Yes, I believe we have a clock.